0: namo tathagata tara tara samma sambuddhasa namo tathagata tara tara samma sambuddhasa namo tathagata tara tara samma sambuddhasa So um, the, the reason why I do this little chanting before I, I give a Dhamma talk is it's a way of of reminding, and it's a way of indicating to you that this is not just a kind of hang out and chit-chat, um, this is an opportunity to talk about um, the Dhamma, or the teachings, and the intention is to to use this in a way that really supports reflection, inquiry, and awakening. And so when I, when I do that chant for myself, I am reminding myself that this is a very special situation. And then to, to make every effort to be as clear um, uh, a voice of, of the teachings and the truth that I can be. So it's not an opportunity for me to sit on a soapbox, and it's not an opportunity for me to kind of dish out, um, views and opinions. It's, the point is entirely about reflecting on uh, our own experience and our own teachings in a way that supports awakening. Um, it's also meant to be a signal for you as well. So, you know, this is not just hang out on the, on the street corner and drink some coffee, and, you know, and it's actually a time to listen in a particular way where your attention is focused on your inner experience. Ninety percent and ten percent on what it is that I say, and so in that way, when you have some kind of a resonance, it's like your body will know. You know, there's a kind of an opening, a relaxation, a kind of aha. At the body goes aha. So when the body goes aha, it's like you know, it's it's conviction. You know, it's not belief, and and you can really trust that. But I don't I don't plan. You know. You know, so sometimes we come up with titles, and that's usually about them as much as it gets as far as planning. And so sometimes what happens is when I'm speaking extemporaneously, my own personal stuff comes in. And hopefully it's innocuous, it just you know, might not be something that you can relate to or resonate with, and if that's the case, just let it go. So there's absolutely no intention that you believe anything that I say or take it on board. But occasionally, hopefully very rarely, you know, sometimes what happens is, is that my own personal material comes in a way where I'm actually not speaking in accordance with what's supportive of awakening, but it's just related to unfinished business that I haven't yet processed. And if I'm doing that, and in particular, if I'm doing that in a way where it's going against your deepest understanding of what the truth is, then I would ask not to just let it go, but come back somehow, talk to me about it, and clear it in that way. We're setting up a a relationship of mutual respect, and we're setting up a relationship where the clarity is, is that the one thing that we're doing here is supporting awakening. And I need everybody's participation in that, 100%. It's not just my thing that I do. It's everybody has to do that. So we set that up, we set the stage, and that chanting is meant to be the indication that that's the agreement that we have. That's everyone's commitment in this space right now, and that this is then consecrated space, and that's what we're doing here. We're using this for working out. So in talking about themes, there were a number of themes that were back and forth, and Steve, who's my friend in Denver, So, I don't know if you know, but, you know, the Denver Dharma punks, the front-range punks, have been absolutely instrumental in keeping me alive and helping me do what I need to do. And so, you know, there's a number of Buddhist groups. There's a lot of groups in Boulder, but the only group that took an interest in what I was up to was the Dharma punks in Denver. And, you know, they came with supplies of food, and they came with warm things and carpets, and they came with all kinds of stuff, and if it hadn't been for them, it would have been really hard going. Anyway, so Steve is the, one of the facilitators of that group, and so the conversation went back and forth, and the topic that was asked for was leaps of faith. So what I thought I'd do is I'd share some personal experiences around that theme, and then leave it back in terms of how does one actually practice with it. So, you know, one of the experiences that I had about this was, you know, when I first decided to go to India, so I had been thinking about wanting to be a nun for 10 years and finished university and worked and paid off my student loans. And then um, the man that I was in love with in high school, we came together as a couple uh, just shortly before I was leaving. And so, you know, it's one of these kind of crazy things where you're completely content and at ease and peaceful and uh, joyful about being in this very loving relationship. And yet, there was also this sense of wanting to go on being our pilgrimage. And so when I um, I was sort of, like, um, you know, torn to pieces, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? You know? And so I... I didn't know how to do that, but I just know that what well, I could just trust the present moment and keep going with the present moment and just see what would happen. And then at one point, he and I were both on retreat, and at the end of the retreat, again, there was just this absolute clarity that came where I knew I had to go. And I knew I had to go even though if I knew that I had no idea what the consequences of that would be. And so at the end of that retreat, I talked to him and I told him, you know, that was my decision and... and Being a remarkable human being, he was completely supportive. So, you know, I was in my 20s. I had been working. Um, I quit my job. I gave away everything I had, including my cat. You know, I said goodbye to my partner. I bought a one-way ticket, and I headed off to Asia. And, you know, at that point, that was absolutely the kind of the biggest big deal thing that I'd ever done. And I had a sense that, you know, I was going to go and stay until it was clear for me that it was time to come back. And that I wouldn't come back before I knew that it was time. And, you know, anyone who's been in Asia knows that it's not easy. And, well, 20-something years ago, you know, traveling as a single woman there, you know, certainly it had its challenges. Um, But it also has blessings. So, you know, the blessings... And the challenges, you know, I was able to meet the challenges and, and, and allow the blessings to do what they needed to do. And then it became clear that it was time to, to uh, come back, and so I did. But that experience of being in a very close, loving relationship like that, there was nothing whatsoever wrong with the relationship or being in the relationship. And yet, knowing that I needed to go, and by going, I was putting everything on the line. You know, I remember, before I left, just thinking, you know, I must be insane, you know. This is absolute madness. And, you know, I'm going into total uncertainty, leaving something that was deeply nourishing, and not having a clue what the outcome would be. And yet there was something inside of me that said, I had to do it. And I knew that if I didn't do it, that there would be other really big consequences. So I did it. And I didn't regret. But man, there were times that it was a little bit like, oh my goodness, you know, oh my goodness. So then I went to the monastery. And, you know, it was clear when I went to the monastery that I wanted to ordain. And um, I was part of the community for the sisters. And the sisters were, like, pretty dysfunctional. Like, pretty dysfunctional was probably an understatement of the universe. It was like a nightmare. I mean, it was, like, absolutely horrendous. And, and yet I had the conviction that the teachings actually would work, and if I actually applied them and stayed in the situation, that something would come through that was, was worthwhile. And so the first time I went back to the States, I made a point of going back and seeing my ex-partner. And, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You know, all of the feelings were still there. There was nothing that had even dimmed slightly. It was just all there. And there was just the clarity to not go in that direction. And again, I was facing this enormous uncertainty of living in this dysfunctional, unsafe, horrendous situation that also had a lot of blessings in it, trusting that somehow the practice was going to prevail, even though I had no clue how or when or what that was going to look like. That was hard. Oh, wow, that was really hard. And then the practice did start to bear fruits, Somewhat, But the situation with the sisters was still so challenging for me that after ten years of being in the monastery, I realized that actually it was more than I could deal with. The kind of level of distrust that I was experiencing was more than I could process in that context. And so I said, well, I need to go. So, you know, here I am an alms mendicant. So, you know, I don't handle my own food. I don't have any money that's in my own name. I don't have a bank account or a credit card. And I thought, I need to go. And so I found a place and I ended up going to Australia, which is on the other side of the planet. Never been there before. Didn't know anybody. And, and thought, well, you know, somehow I'll, I'll be able to figure out how this is going to all sort out. But again, it was this huge leap of faith that I'm gonna take myself out of the monastery, I'm gonna put myself in another situation which is totally unknown, with people that are totally unknown, and somehow it will be okay. I'll, I'll survive, you know. And then I lived there for a couple of years and I love this place. Oh, I just totally love this place. You know, I'm I'm real sensitive to energy and to nature and the energy in Australia is unlike anything I've ever been experience before. It's got a hum to it. It's just, it's very sacred land, you know, and the animals and the creatures and everything. It was was a a real powerful coming home, you know, being there. I could spend hours talking about what that was all about. Anyway, um, there were changes in the community and the retreat manager was leaving. So I was living in a little hut, you know, in this spectacular, beautiful place. And there was a kitchen... In this other area that was 20 minutes' walk from where I was. And the retreat manager was changing. And so, by some, I don't know what, they hired a person whose previous job had been a prison warden. Okay? And he was of the kind of value system to treat people inside the prison and outside the prison exactly the same. So he was really one scary dude. I mean, I mean, he, He was really scary. And so because of the way he spoke and the way he behaved, the place emptied out. So I was gonna be there alone with him and his wife, and I freaked. It's like I couldn't cope, you know. I just couldn't handle it. So I left. So here I left this place that had been my like mother, you know. It was like, you know, it birthed me. And, and I was, again, now I'm in Australia as a Buddhist nun, all right? So I was wandering around in places, and I didn't have a place. So i go from place to place, and, and there was a period of time where I had, like, I could figure out a day and a half, you know? That was, like, the extent of my future was, like, a day and a half, you know? And it was very much, you know, from hand to mouth, existence of not knowing how I was going to eat and where I was going to sleep and how I was going to work out and and during that process you know it evoked really deep-seated stuff so I was shaking inwardly with what I was having to navigate and then again that that journey you know I stayed in this place for a while in that place for a while and this place for a while and that place for a while and then I ended up going to um, Toronto and it was like out of the frying pan and into the fire. And so, from one level of vulnerability and uncertainty and shaking, I went to like ten times as vulnerable and shaking. And I was, I was beside myself because again, I was found myself in a situation where I was unsupported with a community, and I was living on alms, and I was going to the farmers' market, and 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 yet there was this volume of internal rawness and material to process. That was like on the edges of of safe, you know? And I thought, this is just mad, you know? This is completely nuts, you know? I mean, it would be hard enough if you were in a completely safe space with a completely loving community with all of the people in the world that you needed to hold you in this. I'm in a foreign country, in a foreign city with nothing, and I'm trying to put the, I said, this is nuts. So I thought, you know, I was just like, well, you know, I should disrobe, you know, because it's just, it's too hard. So I I had a lot of, a lot of feeling about, well, I should disrobe. And then I thought, well, you know, I can't, I can't just think myself out of the robes, you know. I didn't get into the robes because it was a good idea. I can't get out of the robes because it's a good idea either. So I... I I said, well, I'll just go inward and see and sound out what it actually feels like. So I quieted myself down and I tuned into what was there. And from this being this, like, gelatinous pulp, I mean, there was, like, I had nothing that I could locate myself in. There was nothing that had enough solidity that would hold anything. It was really an entirely amorphous, gelatinous pulp. And from that there was this conviction which just absolutely blew me away, you know, that my path was to stay in robes. And I had no idea how I was going to be able to do that. But I thought, okay, I don't need to know. All I need to know is, do I have enough food today? Do I have enough shelter today? Is there enough warmth today? And if I have enough sanity today that I am not you know, needing to be institutionalized, can I keep my precepts good enough today that I'm not actually uh, being a disgrace to myself about what I'm doing? For today. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Just for today. And so that's what I did from one day to the next day to the next day to the next day. And I had enough smarts to gather the supports that I could and then focus on what was in front of me, which was some very primal personal material, and attend to it. And it shifted a lot faster than I thought it might. So, again, I was, you know, thinking, well, now what do I do? And I thought, well, I want to go back to Thailand and go back to Australia and pay respects to the land and then go back to England because I'd been wandering around the planet for five years without actually being in the community. And, again, I I had no idea what was going to happen when I went back in, but I I knew I was leaving, moving out of the patriarchy, but I knew the only way to go out was to go back in. I needed to touch back face with the sisters and the community, feel my feet there, feel where I felt what was going on, and then trust. And so on that pilgrimage, I had this vision when I was in Thailand about what I was dealing with and how I needed to move and how monumental what it was and how difficult the journey was going to be and what was required. And I didn't believe it. It was too big. It was like, you've got to be joking. You know, I can't be doing that. You know, that, forget that, you know. But I did go back to England and I was welcomed with the sisters and then it started shaping up exactly as my vision had given to me in 2004 and in 2008 and 2009. It started to become really clear that actually what I was given as a vision in terms of how monumental the challenge we were up against was and that what my role was in it. And so, again, there was a situation of I had gotten clear without a shadow of a doubt that my life was about moving out of stuff which was harmful. I knew that in my bones. And I knew that the tradition was tangled up into something that, for me, was harmful. And that had to do with the discrimination about women, the way power was held, and the role that women and men had in relationship to each other. And I knew it was deadly. It wasn't a question of maybe it's not okay. This was killing people, you know. It was spiritually destroying them, and I knew I couldn't do that anymore. But in order to move out, it was—I mean, this is not a simple thing. So there were a number of things that happened, and you know, and I, I with the other sisters, got clear about certain stuff and made a clear statement about you know wanting to continue this conversation in California and it caused this enormous reaction and then this enormous reaction was followed by you know behaviors which you wouldn't normally think you know in terms of intimidation and aggression and threats and and I just said enough you know we were asked to participate in something and I said no I am not participating in this and again, there was the clarity that it didn't matter what the consequences were. It absolutely did not matter what the consequences were. I knew in my bones that I had to say enough and hold that, and it did not matter what happened. And I have never felt conviction like that before. You know, certainly I've been wired up or fired up about stuff. But You know, I was, it was so strong. You know, I I would have preferred to have been killed than to go along with that. And I've never experienced that before. So I didn't participate in this little ceremony. And and then, you know, there was all this big reaction. And the big reaction then clarified to me that I couldn't stay in the community. That I had to leave. So, and it became clear like that, you know. I was in a meeting, I left the meeting, and I knew, it's finished, all right? So once again, you know, here I am, you know, I'm a nun, you know? And I don't have any way of supporting myself, independent from the people who are helping me, yeah? I said, I'm going, you know? I don't have funds, I don't have an invitation, I don't have an organization, I don't have a benefactor, I don't have anybody who's saying, I will support you, but I said, I'm going. And so, again, there was this act of faith that if I trust the integrity of my own aspiration, if I entrust the power of the commitment not to harm, if I trust that there is a way with compassion and wisdom that something will emerge that is going to hold me, that I'm not going to crash into a million pieces before I hit the ground. And so... You know, by the time I got to the States, there was an organization, there was an invitation, there was a little bit of funds, there was a place to go. I got to the States and then crashed into a million pieces. (laughs) As I was processing everything that I'd been through, which was actually non-trivial. But of all of the things that I've had to deal with, you know, so these things, they look really whatever, you know the biggest challenge in leaps of faith is to meet what is there. So having left England, I come here, and meeting what is there has taken the greatest courage that I have ever had to bring forward in terms of the kind of levels of pain that I'm navigating and the forces of what is actually moving through me and the willingness to stay open to it to trust that I have the capacity to meet what is there and to nourish myself and resource myself and to continue to find the ways to to support myself in doing that you know it sounds like it's not very a big thing and it has been I mean, I don't have language to describe it. The territory of what I've had to meet and the level of courage of what has been required to meet it, I, I don't have language to describe it. It's just been phenomenal. But what I see is, is that the leaps of faith that I've made throughout my life, all of them have been stepping stones in preparation. Each one gives me more courage and more confidence, and the next one's a little bit bigger, and the next one's a little bit stronger and the next one's a little bit more, and the next one's a little bit more. And so what I'm, you know, having to navigate now, what I've haven't had had to navigate now has been so much more enormous than what I have ever navigated, but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm not cracking up, and I'm not in pieces, and I'm, I'm actually functioning quite well. You know, sometimes my energy's a little bit low, but it's actually, you know, it's, it's working itself out. And it is... It, it, just, it, it astonishes me that the practice has the ability to give us that kind of capacity to do this kind of work. So what I'd like to suggest is that we stop and you know, have some tea and some refreshments and then come back and then we can pick this up as a conversation.